Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Tuesday, the 13th of February. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out with an email newsletter to paying subscribers for my Substack, the Kaka, which looks at Aotearoa New Zealand's political economy with a focus on housing affordability, climate change, and poverty reduction. Today, I want to talk about three waters and the new government's plans for two bits of legislation to replace the three waters legislation, which it says it will repeal by next Friday. Just to step back a bit about why this is important and uh, how it fits into the story of housing affordability, climate change and poverty reduction. Essentially, uh, we don't have enough homes and they're not in the right place or um, warm enough and dry enough to both make them affordable and also to make make them eventually carbon zero, both for the houses themselves and the transport that we have to use because of the choices about where we live and the types of houses that we live in. So any solution to our problems around housing affordability and climate change are all about where we can build houses, rebuild houses, densify our houses, essentially uh, how we're going to redevelop our housing stock and add to it dramatically to deal with population growth running at one5 to 2%. Well, the obvious um, answer would be, well, why not just... Uh, Get the, get the councils to agree to uh, get a, getting a lot more houses built, particularly the ones close to the city centres where people don't have to own a car, have a car park, drive a, a petrol-powered car around and can use public transport, walking or cycling. So we're talking um, apartments, townhouses, those sorts of things which are close to where people live and work and play. Um, good idea. The trouble is, when you want to build lots of new houses like this, particularly ones that are quite dense, so we're talking about larger apartment buildings, often three, four, five stories high, or in some cases higher, uh, this requires uh, a consent. And secondly, it requires the council to work with the developers to ensure that there are, in particular, water pipes. So the three water pipes, they are uh, pipes for getting rid of human waste at the sewerage. Uh, they are pipes for getting rid of rainwater. So this is off the uh, roof of, of houses and the like. There's pipes for drinking water, so being able to drink properly treated water. And finally, pipes for stormwater, so the stuff that goes off the roads and uh, into the sea. And essentially, no housing happens unless there are pipes. Now that means uh, when you're building new greenfields developments, an awful lot of big new piping networks. Or if you're building brownfields developments, often redeveloping the pipes, expanding them, digging them up, uh, repairing them, ensuring that when a thousand people are living on a road, instead of 400, that the pipes can handle all of that extra waste and drinking water and, no doubt, the storm water. So any 
decision, any ability for us to make progress on housing affordability and climate change requires a decision and funding for developing our pipes. We haven't been very good at this over the last 20 or 30 years. We've underinvested in our pipes, both in terms of repairs and maintenance and in terms of adding to the size of them as our population has grown. It's clear, according to the Infrastructure Commission, that once you take into account public transport, water and other infrastructure, um, there's a deficit of over $100 billion and the need to invest a further $100 billion or so in infrastructure over the next 20 years to deal with population growth, which is assumed at 0.5%, even though our population growth for 20 years has been one5 to 2%. So, um, who funds the water infrastructure at the moment? Well, it's all the councils. So unlike um, the roads, and certainly unlike schools and hospitals, the councils have to fund all of the water for this expansion and also to maintain the water. And it's meant that over the years, in some places, Wellington in particular, not enough has been invested in keeping the pipes working. It also happens to be quite a mobile place, the ground kept shifting, and these pipes are now getting towards 100 years old. They were originally laid, particularly at the turn of the century, 20s, 30s, and then other surge of growth happened through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So they're um, at their 50 to 100 year lifespans now. So enormous amounts of investment is needed. So you could ask, well, why don't, why don't the councils just borrow the money and invest it and collect some money back uh, in the form of water charges to pay for all of that, all of that, those new pipes? Well, there are some places that do have water meters and water charges, but not a lot, and it's a relatively new thing. So Watercare, which is the Auckland Water Authority, it uh, was created under the under Super City regu- uh, legislation in, in 2011, and it started charging for water. Now, this is something uh, councillors and mayors often struggle to do, to get voters to <laughs> ratepayers to agree to water meters and water charges. Understandably, a whole bunch of ratepayers say, why, why should I pay again for this water which I've already paid for? And uh, so that's made it very difficult. Um, and uh, we only really have Auckland, Tauranga, Kapiti as the major areas with water meters and water charges. Uh, Christchurch has put in water meters and is currently charging, in theory, for overuse although these charges don't necessarily always get forced through. And uh, Wellington is having a debate about water meters at the moment. Um, initially, before this year, Wellington City Council and Upper Hutt did not want water meters or said they would only agree to them if the business case stacked up. Now, this is a problem that's been well known for a long time. The councils don't have a lot of other revenue sources. Many of them don't have water charges. And excuse me, and they also are struggling to get the political approval. Now, L- Labor's plan was three waters to essentially force the councils to move their uh, water pipes and other assets off balance sheet, so-called off balance sheet, so that they could um, have different governing arrangements, be out of the control of both central government politicians and local government politicians, and be able to charge for water 
collect the revenues and help service the debt. The theory was that the councils would no, would, uh, no longer have to guarantee uh, these, this debt and uh, um, also the government wouldn't have to borrow or guarantee these, this debt. So magically the debt would be off everyone's balance sheets and therefore not pushing up mortgage rates or potentially causing trouble for either councils or governments at some point when these things occasionally collapse. However, uh, it's clear that um, to, to do that in a truly uh, off-balance sheet way, i.e. no guarantees whatsoever, um, bond investors understandably are not that interested. Uh, they want a much higher interest rate to compensate for the risk of failure without a government guarantee. So what often happens is that eventually the government in some form relents and provides some sort of guarantee with which the ratings agencies say, hey, there's a nod and a wink here, the government or the council will uh, back this up. So uh, Labour tried to push through Three Waters. Um, there was opposition from many councils who did not want to give up control of their water assets and for those who believed that this was some sort of secret plot to hand over assets to iwi, it wasn't. But uh, for many people, uh, it was it was painted as that, and um, certainly, it was a it played a role in the election uh, debates. National came in and said it would uh, repeal Three Waters immediately as part of its 100-day plan, and the announcement last night was part of that announcement about we're going to repeal this by the end of next week. We got some more detail about what the government is planning to do to replace Three Waters. Firstly, there'll be some new um, interim legislation put forward and passed by the middle of the year, says Simeon Brown and Christopher Luxon. And then by the end of 2024, a more long-term legislation would be tabled in Parliament and in theory pass towards the end of next year. Just in time for new council elections, by the way. Under this plan, councils would be able to opt in to create their own balance sheet vehicles and often in combination with other councils. In theory, they would do this so they didn't have to borrow money on their own behalf. And uh, the theory is that it would mean that rates wouldn't have to increase. Now, for those people who don't have water meters yet, they would soon have them if they had these off-balance sheet vehicles. And that would be an interesting debate to, to have because ultimately this would have to be approved by ratepayers. So um, the other thing to know is that um, the real game here is all about Auckland. That's where probably more than half of the growth, if you look at the wider Auckland area, more than half of the growth in this water investment will have to happen. And water care is already, um, it's, its own organisation, but is very much enmeshed within the Auckland Council's balance sheet and has said that it can't easily be carved off and effectively uh, separated from the rest of council, given that it already has um, plenty of bonds and uh, water charges and it would be too difficult. Watercare has said that a brand new Crown government guarantee would be required to be able to carve off water care. The key thing to know from last night's announcements is that Christopher Luxon and Simeon Brown have again reiterated that they will not allow the government to provide a sovereign 
uh, guarantee to either Watercare or any of the other uh, water entities. And the councils, of course, themselves are reluctant to provide guarantees. The problem then is that bond investors won't want these bonds unless they have a very high price. And of course, the higher the price, the less the amount that can be borrowed, particularly when they're long-term bonds. So, um, where are we now? We're in what I call a uh, kabuki theatre phase in our political economy, where people say they're doing something to solve a problem, but they're not really doing much that will actually solve the problem. They want to be seen to be trying to solve the problem, but in reality, they're actually quite comfortable with not solving the problem. You may say, how is that possible? Surely ratepayers don't like broken pipes any more than anyone else, and know that eventually there will have to be investment, particularly with the sort of population growth we've got, and the problems that are developing around water quality, uh, people having to boil water, uh, people dying in um, outbreaks of um, uh, uh, E. coli and the likes. Queenstown, of course, um, had a boil water notice for weeks and weeks um, uh, in the recent past. So, um, why would anyone want this to continue? Particularly when we know that without this extra investment, we're not going to provide the extra houses needed to, to either improve affordability or to uh, improve our climate situation. Well, the guts of it and the brutal truth of it is that the ratepayers who decide who is in council and who are the mayors are almost always homeowners and often own more than one home, homes. Uh, many are in other council areas, so they're able to vote in more than one council election. And uh, typically their interests are the ones that councils have to cater for because voters uh, who are renters vote at much, much lower rates than are people who own property. And it's the same at the general election, although to a lesser extent. And it means that the median voters, the several hundred thousand people who actually determine election results, also tend to be from this group of people who are, own their own family homes, live in their own family homes, maybe have extra family homes, and actually don't want to see a change in the situation, which would mean the value of their land drops, or uh, means that they uh, uh, have a drop in their disposable income, i.e. after-tax income. Because remember, you need a high disposable uh, income to be able to borrow as much as you can to buy uh, as big a property or as many properties as you can. Because in New Zealand, the main way to make yourself financially secure and provide a surplus of capital uh, for your own kids to own their own homes is to buy as much residential land, leverage it up as much as you can, wait for the prices to rise inevitably, particularly when you've got strong population growth and not nearly enough new housing supply being opened up. So, in reality, the government doesn't really want to solve the problem. If it did, it would provide capital and guarantees. The councils don't really want to solve the problem, otherwise they would have already agreed a long time ago to put water meters in and impose water charges. And uh, the ratepayers who make the decisions for councils don't want it, otherwise they would have allowed this to happen over the years. Now you could argue, surely this is not sustainable. Sadly, it is. 
until that political equation around uh, homeowners being the main, being the deciders of um, council elections and general government elections, and that um, won't change until somehow their kids, their um, young landless renting kids, can convince them to change, because at the moment most are able to argue, well. Uh, if you want me to live in this country and have a home for the grandkids that you want, you better give me a deposit or guarantee my loan or I'm off <laughs> to Australia. And that's where the real leverage lies now. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was today's Dawn Chorus for Tuesday, February the 13th. Ka kite anō.